Hello, I'm Joseph. And I'm Kinsey, and we are the hosts of It Takes a Village, Topics in International Care for Children and Teens in Crisis. This podcast spreads awareness about the orphanage and foster care space. We provide meaningful information and practical actions to help children have a brighter future. Emma Brown graduated from Brigham Young University with a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in social work. She is a mental health therapist at Greenhouse Center, where she focuses on individual and family mental health counseling. She is specialized in play therapy, neurofeedback, EMDR, trauma-focused treatment, and attachment-based interventions. Welcome, Emma. We're excited to have you with us. Thanks, Kenzie. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So, Emma, to start off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose your profession? Of course. So I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I work a lot right now with kids and teens. Uh, We have a contract with DCFS, the place that I work. So we work a lot with foster and adopted kids. Um, And the reason I got into that is I actually have seven uh, adopted siblings. So growing up, I got the opportunity to see how much need there was for assistance and mental health services in that population. And then when I was in college, I actually spent three years mentoring foster kids in the Alpine School District. So I was going from home to home from and helping foster kids, mentoring them, kind of just being a support academically and also as a friend. And that was another thing that inspired me to go into social work in general and then therapy specifically because I saw what a difference that made for these kids who had so much trauma and attachment um, ruptures in their childhood. That's really awesome and that's neat that like you were able to learn from those experiences as a child and you know really make a difference in your adult life. So last podcast we spoke to Sam who talked to us a bit about some problems that occur when children don't have stable parental relationships and so we want to hear a little more about that from your perspective. What is attachment theory disorder And why is it a common problem? And what are some of the driving factors that cause that problem? Yeah, so attachment theory is something that actually came about in the 50s. Around that time period, people thought that it was best to not show your child too much affection because that would ruin them, it would spoil them. But around this time, they did some studies and started to recognize that actually giving your child love, affection, attention, and emotional connection was one of the best things for development. And those kids ended up turning out the best. And so some of those experiments involved testing different types of attachment. And some of those types of attachment are anxious attachment, which is where you can kind of tell that because a child gets clingy, they get whiny, they have a hard time letting go of their parent, they follow them around, they feel like they have to be very loud with their emotions. Um, Then there's avoidant attachment, which is kind of the opposite of anxious. It's where you you can tell that someone's avoidant because, or a kid is avoidant, because they'll actually try and do everything themselves. They won't look to someone for comfort. Um, And then there's secure attachment, where a child is able to turn to someone for comfort, but is also able to do some things on their own. They can explore like a child does, but also return to their parent if something goes wrong. Um, And then there's also disorganized, which is kind of a combination of avoidant and anxious and it's just all over the place and that comes from severe attachment trauma. So what they discovered is that when there are attachment ruptures early in childhood, 
when a child is taken from their family, or when they had a parent that was not connecting to them, or if the parent was smothering and overly connective, it can develop into some of these attachment disorders, like an anxious avoidant attachment or a disorganized attachment. And that can cause issues in future relationships if they, are, if they go on to get adopted. They still have that same attachment style. And then when they're in relationships as adults, it continues on. So everyone has some little quirks with attachment. They have a little bit of something. Everybody's either a little bit anxious, a little bit avoidant. But if you have a traumatic childhood, if you've had attachment ruptures and attachment trauma, that becomes your main attachment style. You don't just have a little bit of anxious. You're not just kind of like a little bit clingy in your relationships. That's all you know how to do. And it makes it very hard to connect to people. That's fascinating. And kind of a, just a follow-up question on that is normally with children in the foster care system or children in situations where they have lost one of their parents or have been separated from one of their parents and maybe they're going to be adopted, what do you normally see with them the most? Like which one of these disorders? So it depends and kids respond differently. You never really know how they're going to respond. There are some patterns. For example, if you have a parent that was on drugs when the kid was in the home, that parent some days might be sober and able to care for the child, show them love, affection, and care. But then other days when they're on drugs and not themselves, they might respond with violence or screaming and not be as patient with their child. And so that child grows up learning that they can never really trust their feelings. They don't know how to react. So that develops into a disorganized attachment. So they don't know whether to actually ask for help, to cling to their parent. They don't know whether to avoid and hide from their parent um, or, or what to do. So they end up trying all these different things because they don't know what works. Um, whereas if you have a, a parent that just was never really around, um, so neglect, in a lot of cases of neglect where children weren't taken care of, they were left in the crib all day, oftentimes that can turn into an avoidant attachment because that child cries and cries and realizes that no one's coming. So they have to soothe themselves. They have to figure it out on their own. So then as they get older, they keep using that skill and they they think they can't trust anybody because that was not how it happened in their youth. They couldn't tell someone, they couldn't cry and receive the food and help they needed. What are some of the telltale signs that you have seen that a child or a teen may have suffered from or is suffering from ATD? So typically some of the things that will pop up first is you'll have a lot of pushing boundaries, especially if there's a new foster situation. If a child comes into a foster home and you notice that they're trying to push push all sorts of boundaries. So they push you away when you try to show affection. They are trying to do things they're not supposed to and they know they're not supposed to and it's not really getting them anything, but it's just they're just testing the parents. That's a pretty good sign that there's been some attachment trauma because that's their way of seeing if you're going to be like what they've experienced before. They want to see if that parent will leave. They want to see if they'll break. Because if that child is avoidant and has been used to taking care of themselves because they had to, because it's not safe to trust people, then they want to be absolutely certain that you're not going to leave and they will test that to the end of days to make sure that you are safe to be with and be around and to share their emotions with. Um, another telltale sign is if you have a kid that's overly affectionate, 
doesn't leave you alone. Opens up too easily, but almost seems insincere. That's a pretty common thing you'll see with some anxious attachment. They, there's some oversharing, some clinginess. It's almost like they're worried that at any moment they could lose you. At any moment you will disappear. And then disorganized, if you never know what to expect from the, a kiddo, if they're one day they want to be around you and talk to you and the next day they completely shut you out, that's a pretty clear sign. Um, sometimes you'll also get kids who, this is more trauma in general, but sometimes they'll hoard food or they'll do some self-soothing behaviors like rocking or they'll have like little twitches, like maybe thumb sucking a lot or wanting to hold a certain item a long time. That's what they've learned to use for attachment and soothing growing up. And so that's another good sign. A lot of adopted kids will like use their binky for a lot longer or get very attached to objects. So if you move stuff in their room, they get really upset about it. They don't like change because in the past, change was dangerous. Change took everything away from them. And so any sort of change can be threatening. So that's another one. If you find a kid that's very attached to items, has big reactions to change of, of scene or change of like items in their room or a big reaction to gifts too. Kids really, who kids who've had attachment trauma really connect to gifts because there's something physical that they can hold and keep and they get to control whether or not it leaves. Uh, that's, that's very fascinating. Thank you for sharing that with us. and. As, as you're talking, I'm just thinking of my own experience. I've got two kids as well. And I know that, that kids also come with um, different personalities. And something that comes to my mind as you're talking about the different telltale signs is, is it often a misdiagnosed disorder? Um, because some of the things that you are mentioning, I guess, could be personality traits or they could be attention deficit disorder related or maybe even um, autism, like pre-autism related. Is it easy to misdiagnose ATD? So the diagnoses that we typically see that are related to trauma are usually reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder, um, and sometimes conduct disorder. But honestly, the where I work and kind of the modality and outlook that I have is that these kids have PTSD. They have a trauma. And so if you're looking through that lens, it's hard to misdiagnose because if there is no trauma causing these behaviors, then it's obviously something else. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in my opinion, personally, I don't think a kid's going to develop a reactive attachment disorder, which reactive attachment is kind of a disorganized attachment disorder where a kid will pretend like they'll, they'll love you. They'll act like you're their favorite person in the world and then they'll push you away like you're the devil. Everyone's an angel or a demon. It's all over the place. It's kind of a precursor to some borderline personality disorders later on in life, which is also an attachment disorder, in my opinion. So if a kid doesn't have the attachment trauma in their history, they probably will not have a reactive attachment disorder. Disinhibited social engagement disorder is more of the anxious attachment. It's where a kid is friendly with everybody, goes up to strangers. I've had some younger siblings like this, some of my adopted siblings who just will go up to a man on the street and say hi and be very excited to see them. And uh, it's not always a safe situation, but they don't know how to differentiate that. And so most kids, you can have that as a personality trait, but in order to diagnose that, typically for me, I would need to see some trauma for that to be a diagnosis. So there are some of the features of attachment disorder that you can see in other things like ADHD and autism, 
but also because like, for example, in autism, they can't attach very well. They have a ton of attachment trauma in their life because they're trying every day to connect with people and they don't know how. Um, it's like they're living on an alien planet. And so they do have some attachment disorder. Same with ADHD. They have a hard time knowing how to calm themselves down enough and to focus enough a lot of the time and to fit in. Those kids don't feel like they fit in a lot of the time. And that, that can cause some attachment stuff. Everyone has a little bit. Uh, if you were raised with helicopter parents, you might become a little bit anxious because they were always there and always around. So you might have like a little bit of the anxiety in you of, okay, I got to please somebody. Um, if you had a parent that was more strict and more like you got to just do stuff on your own growing up, then you might have a little bit of avoidant. Um, when the disorder comes in is when it's affecting your daily life and every relationship uh, in a significant way. Thank you for elaborating on that. You sharing about the patterns and those telltale signs in addition to a, a trauma um, that they've experienced makes makes a lot of sense. So thank you for sharing that. And then just the follow-up question, you've touched a little bit on this, but what are some of the long-term major or major long-term effects that can occur as a result of ATD? So kids with um, attachment trauma that don't ever get it addressed, it can lead to several different things. Some kids they pick things up on their own. They have great adoptive parents who, or you know, great relationships later on that help them heal and they can come to a great place. Some kids are just naturally more resilient too. It's a, it's a trait that some kids have and it's, they're very lucky to have that. Other kids, if they continue to have this attachment trauma and not address it and they don't have a chance to heal it with, a, with the family they're with or in therapy or whatever it is, um, it can lead to disorders in adulthood, such as borderline personality disorder, which is a very difficult disorder to have a relationship with because they're, they have very poor boundaries and have, they're very anxious in their attachments. They're always worried that someone's going to leave them. It can also lead to some extreme avoidant behaviors as an adult where you know, adults can't get into relationships and connect with their spouse because they've never experienced that before. They've never had to rely on someone else or share emotionally. So the long-term effects, it affects relationships. It affects other areas of mental health like depression and anxiety because relationships are one of the basic needs just right above safety and survival. You got survival, you got safety, and then you've got attachment is that third, it's one of the survival needs, not one of the happiness needs. Those are the top two on the pyramid <laughs> of the five. The bottom, those bottom three are ones you need to live. We are social creatures and we need attachment to survive. So if you don't know how to do that, that's gonna make it hard to live life in the way that you want to. So that's the biggest long-term effect, but you can't, these, these disorders are treatable. It's something you always will have with you, um, just like any trauma. You never forget it fully. It never fully goes away. But you can learn to be aware of it. You can learn your triggers. You can learn what things you tend to do because of your trauma and catch it and reverse it. And eventually that becomes the new habit. You can repair those roads and mental maps. And that's really awesome that you kind of have talked about that. And it's interesting because not only do you have your professional experience, but also your academic experience and then also your own personal experience in this area. And so it's like you have seen a lot of different situations with different children. And from talking to you, it's very much that each child is unique 
in um you know how they react to different situations and how they grow out of it and not but you touched a little bit on um kind of treatment and then also kind of recovering from it and so just diving a little bit into that I obviously think that the best option is to get help from a psychologist or a child therapist or have someone who understands these situations and if a child can get help that's the best option but as far as like best practices for people who are taking care of children who have some of these disorders what would you recommend as far as the most helpful practices yeah, there's some really good books out about this, and I'll mention them briefly. There's No Drama Discipline, The Whole Brain Child. Um, Dan Siegel has some great books as well. Um, but generally, in, in raising kids with attachment disorders, the basic principle is building the relationship before anything else. It's easy with kids who have issues with pushing boundaries and breaking rules to try and up the ante on consequences and try to be really strict and have a lot of responsibility. And those aren't bad things. They just don't work for kids with attachment disorders because they're not trying to push boundaries just to push boundaries. They're trying to push boundaries to see if you care about them. So the best way to get them to stop <laughs> is to show, show and prove how much you care. So that it changes how you discipline a little bit. You have to focus more on the behavior itself and not on the emotions behind, like not getting emotional yourself. So oftentimes we'll tell parents, you, you are the thermostat, not the thermometer. You're not reading the temperature of the room. You're not reading the temperature of the argument. You are setting the temperature you are the one that remains calm. So if there's a consequence with a normal child, you can get a little upset with them and they'll understand that you're just a little upset with them because they made a mistake. With a child with an attachment disorder, they make a mistake, you get a little upset with them, they assume you hate them and you're never gonna love them again. So you need to keep your calm a lot more. It takes extra parenting skills and extra practice on those things um, to be able to keep your cool and that way you can set the boundaries and set the consequences without it feeling like it's an attack. Some other things that are helpful for parenting kids who have had some attachment traumas, attachment disorders, um, is just to be aware of where they're coming from. So if a kid is pushing you away, they might have an avoidant attachment, which means that they've had to deal with things on their own before. And there's a, there's a piece of respect to that where you have to kind of respect where they've come from and be a little patient with it. They're not gonna just connect to you the first day. They're not gonna open up with you and that's okay. And so not taking that personally as a parent and not feeling like that is because you're not parenting well enough or because they don't love you or they won't love you, that's just not a skill they've developed. So being patient with their own development of their attachment and just being there. That's the biggest thing, just be there. If you're feeling those basic needs of food, safety, attachment, then that's it. Anything else, they're going to have to kind of figure out on their own a little bit. If you can get them professional help, that's a beautiful thing. But parents oftentimes will take things really hard when it's really nothing to do with them. It's just the attachment that this kid has had. Yeah. Well, I think that those are really great suggestions as far as like finding some resources through those books and then just being present. I loved that and having patience. I think that it definitely takes a very patient, strong, full of love person. I think just 
to parent in general, but I think especially when you have a child that's extra challenging or who's come from a very difficult situation, I think that you have to have all the heart to do it. So I loved those suggestions. And I think that when a child has been through something so hard, it makes sense why they can't trust and makes sense why they're like, I'm not going to just so easily give my heart to something when it might be destroyed. Following on from what Kinsey was saying, have you experienced good stories where people have come out of this and and have a good story to tell about this? Yeah, I've had several clients who have had pretty terrible histories of attachment trauma and have had a family that was so so dedicated, so consistently there um, and got the help they needed that they were able to be aware of their attachment difficulties enough that it didn't hinder them, didn't get in their way. And that's I think that's the key is it's kind of if you were to hurt your leg and you know, you need you, maybe you tore your ACL and you needed a replacement. That's an injury that kind of sticks with you. You might have to be more careful on that knee, but you can still do things. You can do most everything that you need to. You just have to be careful and aware. Maybe you don't go skiing for seven hours a day, but you can go skiing a little bit and you just pay attention to your body and see how your knee is feeling. And if it's feeling okay, then you keep going. That's similar with attachment trauma and trauma in general. It's, it's an injury. It can heal. It will always be there. And you do have to adjust your thinking a little bit and your life a little bit to accommodate for that. But you can get to a point where you're enjoying your life to the fullest and attaching in the way that you want to. You just have to be aware of your patterns. So if you're someone who you know you're more clingy because you have an anxious attachment, because you had your parent abandon you when you were young, then you might still have those feelings. You might still want to reach out to your significant other 17 times a day just to see what they're up to, see what they're doing, and they're worried where they're at. But you'll be aware enough to know this is just my past and I don't actually have to do that because I know that it's not coming from a a place of fact, it's coming from a place of trauma. And that can get better as you process the trauma. Um, But a lot of those tendencies will stick around, um, but you can learn to to adjust to them and adapt to them so that they don't get in your way. I I loved what you said, because I also feel like even just, even people who have been raised in a very healthy environment, I think everybody has interesting quirks or tendencies and I love the fact that you said to listen to your body and to just be aware because I even feel like in my life, like I have things where I sometimes feel insecure about certain things and then you kind of have to take a step back and just realize, okay, this is okay that I'm feeling this way. My feelings are valid, but you know, that doesn't mean that it's real or that the other person is trying to do something to make me feel this way. And um, so I really liked what you said about just being aware. Yeah, there's a saying we use a lot where, like, your thoughts and feelings are valid, but it doesn't always mean they're true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that's that um, That could be something difficult for a child to comprehend, especially when it's a young child, that they're acting this way because of something that happened in their past. So is there, like, a good time to try and help a child um, understand that they're behaving a certain way because of their past, or does it 
kind of just happen when you're an adult you realize that <laughs> you know I'm acting this way or I have these quirks about me because of my past when is a good time to introduce that to them that's a great question because it's true younger kids are very black and white thinkers people are good or bad I can attach or I can't attach um, and so it is harder for younger kids to conceptualize that. Some kids are very cognitive um, and they can understand at a younger age. Usually with younger kids, you want to focus on teaching them that they can trust people and teaching them the skills they need to know to calm down when they feel dysregulated and out of their window of tolerance. Um, I've found that usually preteen and teenage years, those are good years for a lot of realization because at that point kids start to realize I am going to be forming new relationships not just family relationships but friend relationships romantic relationships in the future and maybe I do actually want to figure out why I do these things sometimes kids don't care <laughs> they yeah. just want to live their lives so they don't want to fix anything if they have a bad relationship with their parents and that's getting in the way of their life they might care enough to say hey where is this actually coming from but usually preteens and teens are a little bit more aware that, hey, this isn't just to please my family. This isn't just for their benefit. This is also going to benefit me and my future relationships. So it is easier, I think, to explain that and to get buy-in and to get interest in actually learning um, in, those, in those years. I just have another kind of follow-up question a little bit more about resources. You mentioned some books and then also obviously professional help, but do you have any other resources off the top of your head that you would recommend? I know there's some really good like Facebook groups for parents of kids that are adopted. Mainly books is what I refer parents to just because there's so many good books and so much good information out there to apply. Other than professional help, I'd say I know a lot of like DCFS and foster care systems have programs. There's a TBRI program that um, families can get involved in here in Utah where it teaches you how to parent a child with trauma. So there are programs out there. I don't know for every state or for other countries, but um, most places do have some sort of program where you can learn how to parent a little bit better for a kid that's a little bit different, a little bit harder to parent. Um, there's usually groups as well for those kids. Some kids want to go, some kids don't want to go. Um, usually those are provided by the state. There are several programs that are run by the state that kids can go to just to get away for the day. Sometimes when you have kids with extreme attachment disorders, you just need a break for a little bit. And so day treatment programs are sometimes helpful or there's respite care available where you can have someone just watch your kiddo for a few hours <laughs> for, of the day. It's just to give you a break because parents need to take care of themselves. If their needs aren't met, they cannot meet the needs of their child. So taking advantage of those resources, I would say, is the best resource. <laughs> Looking for and taking advantage of people, family members, friends, respite, state-provided services that are willing to help and not just trying to do it all on your own. Yeah. Well, Emma, I have thoroughly enjoyed learning more about you and about what you what you do and also understanding some best practices. Just in closing, if there was anything that you could share of kind of your one takeaway, whether that's directed to parents or directed to children in this situation, what would that be? I would say that love heals all wounds and that it is the number one healer of attachment wounds. For kids who've experienced trauma, letting love in is the best way to heal that trauma. 
experimenting, trusting, trying it out, trying to love and receive love is the best way for that to heal. And for parents of children with attachment trauma, putting love first before even sometimes safety, I would say. I mean, you want to keep them safe, but uh, like if you have to choose between loving your kid and keeping them from failing classes, I would choose loving your kid. Let them fail those classes. They'll come back around. They'll figure it out. It'll turn around one day as long as they know you love them. Love is the paramount with attachment disorders. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I'm sure there's a lot of us that can apply. I mean, even if we don't have kids um, struggling with attachment disorder, that we can take these principles and apply them. Um, just loving our kids and you know making sure that they grow up the best that they can. Thank you for joining our discussion. We hope that this podcast provided you with an educational experience and provokes curiosity, thought, and discussion with others. This is the first step on the road to learning and understanding how to help children and teens in crisis. Where the journey will lead is up to you.